Hello, welcome back to RyeCast. I'm James Stewart and this is the new podcast for Rye in East Sussex. It's all about real life stories from the town and this episode features two people whose dedication to saving lives at sea goes back decades. Not just for them, but for their whole families. First though, thanks loads for all the comments, emails and messages. I've had some great suggestions about what to include in future episodes. You can email me at rycastsussex at gmail.com, follow the link on the website, rycast.org, and don't forget to subscribe to Rycast wherever you get your pods. So Rycast is all about Rye, and that includes Rye Harbour, which is where I am today, right by the lifeboat building. From here, I can see the William the Conqueror pub, dog walkers heading out onto the nature reserve, it's the Harbour Master's office on the other side of the river, and further along, right out into Rye Bay, as the rather cuts past the boats, out onto Campus Sands. Inside the doors of the building, I can see the bright orange lifeboat, Hello Herbie 2. It's massive, with two huge motors, and beside it, the tractor that takes it into the water at low tide. Well, I say tractor, it's like nothing I've seen before. It's enormous, with huge wheels. I'm also struck by how clean the whole thing is. I'll be finding out more about the current lifeboat crew when I head inside a little bit later. But first, though, I've been talking to Betty Brooks, who's got Rye Harbour lifeboats in her blood. By my calculation, she's lived here 90 times longer than me. She was born and raised in Rye Harbour, and apart from a bit of time at Pet, and when she was evacuated to Bedfordshire during the war, she's never left. Her family has been part of the crew for over a century not least during the 1928 disaster when all 17 lifeboatmen lost their lives aboard the Mary Stanford in violent storms. She spent over half a century raising money for the lifeboat charity, the RNLI, and she's been telling me about the family's connections to the Rye Harbour lifeboat. Granddad, Mum's dad, was the assistant coxswain in the Mary Stanford lifeboat. One of Mum's brothers perished in in that disaster. On that particular night, Grandad wasn't on the boat, fortunately. Then, after the disaster, we didn't have another big lifeboat, but I think it was 1966, possibly, when we had the inshore lifeboat, which my hubby Terry, um, brother, cousins, were all part of the original trainees and crewed that. My grandson, he trained here at Harbour. He is now employed by the RNLI, works at Tower Lifeboat in London. And we had a little group which we called the Lifeboat Ladies. We just fundraised for their wellies and waterproofs, whatever. You must be very proud of your family's involvement in the lifeboat. Definitely, yes. I feel well proud of my grandson because he did, I think before he started working full time, he for three years did 
a 12-hour shift every weekend, which I thought was great because he gave up one day of his weekend for three years before he was invited to apply for a job that came up. So he is now employed full-time by the lifeboat, which he thoroughly enjoys. It must be very stressful being out in a lifeboat, but also stressful for you. You must have worried a lot. Every time, it, during that time, they didn't have pages. Um, a rocket used to be fired round at the station, so you knew exactly when there was a call. Now, we're not always aware because they've got their pages and, and you sort of hear on the grapevine. But when Terry was in the lifeboat, I don't think there was very many Sundays that we ever sat down and had a Sunday meal together because, especially during the summer, you'd just about get sat at the table and the rocket would go up. He would go flying out and... You know, yes, I was worried when the weather was really bad and I went out because I felt I'd got two little children to think of. But again, there was lives out there that needed saving or, or helping. The boat that's at the harbour now is huge and completely different oh, to what was massive. back in the day. And they've got far more protection. When air boys went out, they literally had a type of thick wetsuit and their well is much, much colder. I mean, now they've got their teddy suits and things like that that they wear. The equipment is far upgraded, and so it should be. And how about now, when there's a, a big storm and there's thunder and lightning and, and heavy rain, are you thinking about the boys out at sea, boys and girls out at sea? Yes, definitely. Yes, and you know, you always sort of fear when you hear they've been out on a rescue because there's a great risk with it all, and I take my hat off to those that do it. And that's why I felt, you know, the need that I should do what I could to help on the shore. Do you think there's a special quality that lifeboat men and women have to have? Oh, yes. Um, I mean, they have to work hard to sort of get there because... You've got to have your practice nights. They've got to be away from the family. But it was something Terry wanted to do. And my hubby wasn't born into the lifeboat family. He came from up inland from Westfield. He started his life farming. Did you ever try to stop him joining? No. No, no, he he wanted to, 
obviously there were times when I was very anxious because I was sort of at home with the children when they were babies and obviously couldn't be around there so from the minute he went out the house till he came back in I was on edge because didn't even know if he was on the lifeboat you know because they all ran at the same time and obviously if they had an early morning shout I was anxious when he wasn't back in time to go to his, his daily job because really you've got two things your work is your livelihood whereas his lifeboat was voluntary you know it all worked out <laughs> <laughs> you've lived here pretty well all your life apart from the evacuation and, and pet oh what, yes what, what do you love about rye and rye harbour i think it grows on you <laughs> i wouldn't want to live anywhere else i am i think the oldest female resident who's actually born not the oldest in the village but the oldest person who was born here i'm one of the original harbour ducks but i don't suppose that many people live the length of years that, that I, I have to be able to crib about it sort of thing we used to think people were old at 72, you know, I, I looked on my, my dad to be a really old man. And here I am, sort of, well, soon to be 91. And we just keep plodding on. I've got a lovely family and some very nice friends, so what more can you ask? <laughs> This is what Betty and all the other volunteers' hard work has made possible. The current lifeboat in Rye Harbour, very different to the boats that Terry Brooks worked on back in 1966. Paul Bolton is the lifeboat operations manager here at Rye Harbour. Paul, thanks for taking the time to talk to Rycast. Do you want to tell us about Hello Herbie 2? So we have Atlantic 85 inshore lifeboat at Rye, eight and a half metres long, uh, just over two metres wide powered by two 115 horsepower Yamaha engines, pushes it along at about 35, 37 knots um, with a full complement of crew. It's equipped with radar and electronic navigation and has a duration of three hours at full speed. So in essence gives us a range of about 100 miles. Um, we've never been that far, but um, if we needed to, we could. How often do you go out? This year, We've been out to eight shouts already this year. Uh, Training-wise, we tend to go afloat at least once a week. We train on a Sunday and a Monday, and there's usually water in the river on one of those days, so as long as we've got a full crew, we'll go training um, at least one trip, uh, sometimes three, sometimes four trips a day, depending on um, the amount of people that turn up. And what are the sort of rescue missions that you go out on? We do a varied amount really from dogs in the river 
to uh, missing children at Canberra. We assist there. Broken down yachts, fishing boats. Uh, we do a little bit of small boat work, um, which is um, predominantly migrants. And we do anything else that we get sent out for. Could be a medical evacuation. We could be assisting the helicopter with helping prep a casualty on a boat for them to come along and airlift them off to hospital. Anything that we're needed for, really. Why do you do it? Well, now there's a question. Um, why do I do it? So I guess I've always had a love of the sea, I guess. My dad was Royal Navy. As a kid, I learned to sail and then joined the Sea Cadets. Continued the sailing, powerboating, bit of canoeing. Um, strangely joined the Army, but went to a maritime unit within the Army. Spent six months of every year teaching people to sail. And then I came out of the army and I'd been out about 15 years-ish when I got talking to a neighbour who was crew and I didn't think I was home often enough at the time I was doing international removals. And he said, well, come along, join. The weekend you're home could be the weekend we're short and we could need you. So that's where my R&LI journey started, really. I started as shore crew which is the bottom entry, really. And then I worked my way up shore crew, up to a tractor driver and boat crew, and then eventually became a helm on the Atlantic 75. Unfortunately, in 2012, work got in the way and I needed to walk away. I was asked to come back in 2015 as a deputy launching authority. And three years ago, became the lifeboat operations manager. Within that role, I'm responsible for absolutely everything from recruitment, training, health and safety, welfare. It all comes under my umbrella. But the main thing that drives you, I guess, is getting out there and making the team get out there to help people who are in trouble, in distress and save lives? Of course. Saving lives is our prime role. We exist to save lives at sea. I guess quite stressful because it's yeah, it's an important job. Yeah, yeah. At times it can be quite stressful. I'm quite lucky that I've got a really good team of deputy launching authorities here that take some of the pressure off of me, so that I'm not having to do absolutely everything all the time. They do help. They do take a lot of the stress away. But you have a full-time job, as you mentioned, and everybody else who's a volunteer here also has a, a full-time job. What other jobs do people have who volunteer here? I've got a couple of girls that work in the local pub. I've got a lady that is a sales manager for Warner Brothers that works in London. I've got a recruitment consultant. I've got a couple of IT techs. I've got policemen. I've got a couple of publicans. Builders, a plumber, electrician, the list goes on and on and on. And I can honestly say that right at this present time, I do not have anybody that comes from a maritime working environment on the crew. One of the things, talking to Betty, was talking about the, the flare going up back in the day when everybody would run down from the village to the lifeboat. You don't have flares anymore? No, the maroon... Uh, to give it its um, correct name, the maroon was stopped uh, about 10 or so years ago. And they became fairly dangerous. There was a few near misses. They were an explosive. And if not set off in the right way, they could cause some major damage. So the RNLI stopped using them. We now use a pager system, which works really well. And when the pager goes off, what feelings do you have? 
so of course the pager goes off and it's a big fight for everybody not to let the adrenaline take over and to just jump in your car and fly to Rye Harbour to get in the boat. We have no dispensation. Uh, we have to stick to the speed limits. And in my role, for sure, I can't afford to let the adrenaline take over because I need to speak to the Coast Guard, find out what the job is, tell the Coast Guard that it's within our remit to go and do it, and then they will page the crew and the crew will head for here. And, of course, I've got to get here to brief the crew so that they know what they're going to. So you have to try and keep the adrenaline under control at all times. How do you relax? I go to work. If I'm honest, I am kept fairly busy working here. I enjoy my holidays. I enjoy my time away with my wife, um, and that's probably the only way really I can de-stress because here is constantly on my mind. Even if I'm not the on-call launching authority, it's still my responsibility, everything that happens here. So, yeah, it is a constant um, constant battle, I guess, with the stress and the worry of, is everything going how it should go? When talking to Betty, she was talking about her family being involved, going back generations and today. It seems it's very much a family affair, and it is for you too. Yes, it is. My wife, I actually met here. She was crew when we first met got two daughters 19 and 20 that are both trainee crew both qualified shore crew and nearly finished their boat crew plans my wife is still involved as a fundraiser and my mother-in-law is the treasurer and so yeah I guess it is still a family affair why do you think that is my wife grew up in a lifeboat family her father and three uncles were all involved um, in the boat in one way or another uh, Dad has only recently resigned and retired, I guess is probably the better way to put it, about six years ago. So she's grown up with it and I get her full support all the time with everything that goes on here, which is quite good because there's been several weddings and certainly lots of dinners that I've not made because the pager goes and my life is the boathouse. When I spoke to Betty, I asked her about what she thought of the lifeboat crews in the past and about the modern-day crew. Here's what she had to say. I think anybody that works in rescue, you've got to be a certain type of person, whether it be on water, fire, whatever, they're risking their own lives putting their own life at risk to save somebody else's. So I've got every admiration for all of them. She's talking about the qualities that you need to be a lifeboatman. What do you think they are? Um, So you need some dedication. You'd probably need to have a little bit of a screw loose, to be fair. We tend to go to sea when everybody else is coming back. And there certainly needs to be a lot of dedication to go and do what we do and a lot of courage for sure um, for the crew anyone who goes out there and says that they're not scared is not telling you the truth because everybody gets scared on some of the bigger and rougher jobs that we do so it's yeah you've certainly got to be um, dedicated and the final question really is what do you think of Rye you've lived here for many years what does Rye mean to you Rye's always been home when I was a secondary school student. I lived with my grandparents who lived in the harbour for 
about 18 months while my parents did pub management training. So probably from the age of about 13, Rye has definitely been home. I did six years in the army, but Rye was always home. And at every opportunity, I would be back in Rye. And it's where I'm happy. And that's it for Rycast for today. Thanks to Betty and to Paul for their stories, also to Katie Bruce for her help. You can see pictures and links on the website, rycast.org, and we'll have another episode about this brilliant part of Britain in a couple of weeks or so. Don't forget, if you've got a story, it's rycastsussex at gmail.com, rycastsussex on Twitter, and you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.